My name is Christian Ashley, a seminary student and servant of God, and you are listening to the Let Nothing Move You podcast, a proud Anazal Ministries podcast. Welcome back to the Let Nothing Move You podcast. I'm your host, Christian Ashley, and we'll be heading today into Genesis chapter five. Uh, but before that, would like to say that when this is airing, I will be in the midst of testing for my last uh, classes this semester. So if your prayers are heading my way, that would be greatly appreciated. Not to say that I, you know, haven't done my work or anything because I have, but, you know, it's always good to have a little extra help on your side, wouldn't you say? A little extra credit from friends and folks who are listening. So thank you for that. But now let's get into Genesis 5 proper as we will be going through verses 1 through 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Here is where we get into some of the most hotly debated stuff in scripture, uh, you know, outside of creation itself, outside of the divinity of Jesus and who is he actually said he was. You'll get this stuff like how old is the earth? Like we've covered before, like this is where people get into the nitty gritty of it. And there's lots of debates. They're going to be all over the place. Like I've flip flopped from where I've, I've stood on some of these principles. But before we get into any of that, let's look at the human element first. We start appropriately enough, with Adam, who we find out is able, after we did find out in Genesis 4 that he did conceive another son with Eve, but he hasn't given up. He's continuing the human race. He's continuing to love his wife. He's continuing to raise his family as best as possible, to the point where if we take this literally, which most people do, and I would say I do when it comes to his actual age, he lives 930 years and then dies, knowing death is possible because his son Abel has died. Adam keeps up the fight. Now, there are some people who will say that Adam himself uh, was not saved uh, as far as people at that time could be, or whenever Jesus went through the harrowing of hell or Sheol or what have you, that Adam is not mentioned as someone who came back. He's not mentioned in the Hall of Faith. Uh, as far as I can remember. So yeah, sure. People can say whatever they want. I choose to believe Adam will be there in paradise with us eventually, but I could be wrong. But it kind of misses the point of what's going on here is that humanity is spreading slowly, but surely knowing that death awaits them one day, yet they persevere regardless as we have grown accustomed to now, whether we realize it or not, like no one wants to say, man, I'm going to die one day. But it's true. There's only two people in all of history that haven't died. And we're going to cover one of them today. It's going to happen to us. But despite knowing this, they don't give up. They don't descend into nihilism and anarchism and just die off. No, they work together. Adam has other children. Humanity spreads. Now, I brought it up earlier. Obviously, we have to go over whether these years given are literal or meant to encapsulate a group of people to save time or are meant figuratively. Uh, if you're someone who just takes it figuratively, well, you don't have really have to wrestle with anything here. You just think it's not actually happening like it says in the text. So you can move on with your life. And good for you. 
But for the rest of us to take things a little more literally or sometimes not as literally, what are we supposed to do here? Because if we do the math, like most people who do this do, this gives us a period, uh, including this and including the genealogy of Noah and his sons later on in Genesis of about 2008-ish years, if I remember correctly. Math is not my strong suit. That's why I'm not the one who tried to tally these up. We never would have gotten the right answer. <laughs> but providentially, there are people who did. Uh, I'm just not one of those people who thinks it's 6,000 years. I think it's a slightly more, a couple thousand years, anywhere from 10 to 15,000. Now, what's the difference between those two? I don't know, man. I, I'm just trying to work with the text as best I can. But if these are extremely literal, Adam lives 930 years. Now, I don't know about you. But I have yet to encounter anyone out there who has lived over, you know, a decade or two past 100, which there are people who have. We, I think the most recent one that we have confirmed independently was 122. But I don't know anyone who's lived that long around me. So 930 years, well, why would humans be able to live that long? Well, it's another thing that, like many frustrating things with Genesis, we don't get a lot of context for. God doesn't say, hey, humans lasted longer because I wanted them to. That way, they would have more chances to have children who would have more chances to have children. And eventually, as time went on, their bodies degraded, and now we're in the current state we are. That could be true. That's certainly hypotheses have been thrown around that idea before, but I can't prove it. I can't really bring up the old time machine and go back and say, okay, Adam, let's uh, do a genetic test on you. And, oh, you're a lot healthier than us regular human beings over here. So clearly that's what's happening. We don't know. And that's the infuriating part. And I know I've said it before and you're probably tired of it, but it's infuriating to me that I don't have exact answers because I love exact answers as best as possible. They make me feel a little more grounded. They help me figure things out more rationally. But that's part of what we have to do with scripture and encountering it is knowing that we cannot always expect exact answers as much as we would like them to always appear. It doesn't happen as much as I want it to, but that's okay. God has given enough. God did not set out to write an encyclopedia or a, a chronological record of every single thing that ever happened in history and every single reason he ever did for anything that ever happened. Like uh, for that to have happened, God would have happened to have given a reason for why in 1784 uh, AD, uh, a leaf fell from a tree onto someone's head. You know, that, that would be mind numbingly dull unless there was a really cool reason behind it. But even then, following all that together would be maddening. So he did limit the telling for our sakes, knowing our minds can only comprehend so much, as infuriating as that is. <laughs> but is it true? Is this literally 930 years, I'm going to say yes for him. Uh, the But does that mean if we're following this chronologically, uh, that it would be about 2,008-ish years until the time of uh, Terah and Abraham, which happens about 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus, which is obviously 2,000 years after that is about where we're at right now, which would mean the earth is only about 6,000 some years old if that is the case. Uh, that I'd say no. Uh, to that point, but let's let's look at some of the th words used here. It's like uh, fathered is the word used, or begat, maybe in some of your translations. This comes from the root word in Hebrew, yalad. And this can mean a literal father, as in Adam, father of, uh, Abel, Adam, father of, Seth. Or it can mean fathered, as in someone who has started a generation 
or started a grouping of people. He would be the common ancestor of them. You know, i.e. Adam can be the one who fathered Abraham into being, and Abraham can be the one who fathered Israel, both literally and figuratively, in that he's the one who brings Jacob along, excuse me, uh, Isaac along, who begats Jacob, so on and so forth. So that's one way you can take it. And that's how I take it for most of this. I don't, I think there's some gaps in here. Now, there's not a lot of evidence in the text to suggest either way. If you're just looking at it completely, uh, just reading it flat, it looks completely literal as in father, father, son, uh, father, son, father, son, father, son. So there's an argument against my point of view there. And one of the things I do want to bring up is just because I say something doesn't mean it's true as much as I like to think it is. I'm open to being proven wrong, but I don't think this is literal 100% in the sense of I do think the Bible is very literal for the most part. That's not, you know, Jesus saying, I'm the door. Well, Jesus isn't literally a door. You know what I mean? And for this, I think there are gaps of time and whether or not, you know, in between uh, uh, Enosh as we get there and Kenan was there a long period of time, possibly. I think there is, but there are arguments for and against. Now, like I said, I take the fathered as in starting a generation of for most of these. This means the ages of the patriarchs mentioned here to live the literal amount of time allotted to them. Um, yeah, but there's uh, because I just think there are gaps in between them. And instead of some of them being the sons of the one mentioned before them, they are instead ancestors who fathered them from a generational standpoint. Now, this isn't a perfect view of Scripture, and I fully admit that. But honestly, I find the 6,000-year viewpoint far more ludicrous than my idea of the earth being closer to 10,000 or 15,000 years old. And I'm sure there are some of you out there saying, well, Christian, it doesn't matter because it's all figured. And some of you out there saying, Christian, you're an idiot because it's 6,000. Just read the text. And you notice how all three of us read the same book and came with three different reactions. And there are more out there. Some of them make enough sense. Others of them are completely ludicrous and should be stamped out. Now, as an example, against my argument as well, because once again, I want to show other sides outside of my own. There is in Jude uh, verse 14, which is only one chapter of Jude, a verse where he mentions that Enoch, what we'll get to in a little bit here, is the seventh descended from Adam, which heavily implies that Enoch is the actual seventh descendant of Adam. But this is only if Jude intended it that way, because it could just mean that, or it could just mean when listing off the patriarchs in Genesis, Enoch falls in seventh place as one of the named patriarchs. So it could mean either one of those things. Now, if you're just reading it flatly and more literally, then chances are you think, oh, well, the seventh descendant, oh, that means he's the literal seventh descendant. We don't know. It could be either one. And, you know, there are ways to read not only just Genesis 5, but Genesis as a whole as literal, semi-literal, or figuratively. And regardless of which one you land on, God created man and allowed him to prosper so that humanity spread far and wide in the early earth. It is okay to hold strongly to a particular viewpoint of how old the earth is and how God designed it so. It is never okay to declare another Christian brother or sister is invalid in their thoughts simply because their viewpoint doesn't match up with your own, especially when none of us were there to witness the events mentioned in Genesis. Our only concern 
should be when people introduce heretical ideas like, you know, there being some members of humanity that were actually the spawn of Eve and the serpent, or that God created the earth and left us alone. That would be more deism or that Jesus himself was a being created by God. And depending on which heresy you're into adoptionism or blah, 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 like, you know, Jesus is therefore a created being and is lesser than God. Like all three of those are real heresies that exist and deserve our scorn within reason. We should never give them the light of day when it comes to saying these are legitimate ideas. We should let them be spoken of in a free speech sort of way as counterpoints being like, so no one is, you know, set off track by hearing one of them because there are plenty of people who will use the first one I mentioned and that, you know, some members were actually uh, creative of the union between Eve and the serpent. And that means uh, insert race here is evil because I don't like them. And that has been used horrendously, especially it's been around for a while, but it really started like picking up steam in the 1800s and continued on since then. There's plenty of cults have started up because of that. It's evil outright flat out. I will have uh, I will break no bread with anyone who says something like that in the same way I will break no bread with someone who says Jesus is a created being or so on and so forth. That's when you kick your heels in, plant your feet in the sand, in the dirt and say, no, you move. That's not how this works. But when it comes to something like, well, it was, you know, six literal days, a seventh literal day, you know, 6,000 years, literally, or it's 15,000 or 100,000 years or 10 million or 4.5 billion or 15 billion, whatever it is, people can say those things. And they're not inherently wrong, as we are aware of. There is a truth out there that gives an actual number, but we are not aware of it. So there you go. All that ranting to say, we don't know. I have my point of view. I'm sure you all have your points of view, and I would very much like to hear them and where your justifications come from. If you'd like further you know, justification on my part for why I think the way I do, I'd be more than happy to give that. Just reach out to me. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to hear. I'm willing to be criticized. And with that, we'll go to verses 6 through 14. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he had fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahatlalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalil, 840 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Now, you're noticing a very interesting structure here. at setting up the premise. Person lived. Person fathered this person. They lived a little, after, a little, little longer after they fathered this person, but they also fathered other people who we're not going to talk about. So they exist, but don't, they don't have names recorded. And then they died. That's kind of one of the big structures of Genesis 5 to letting us know, unless there's something super important about their lives, which we will get to eventually in Enoch. We don't know a lot about these patriarchs, these these people who live for this vast amount of time, able to father many sons and daughters, but we do know they existed. And we're going to look at the naming schemes of these patriarchs in a bit. But before we do that, we do need to talk about something else in that if we simply look at this list of names as another list that we just have to grind through in order to get to the good parts of Scripture, then we are looking over and denying the lives of those who came before us and struggled in a world that was slowly losing its way from God, while a small remnant 
remained faithful. That's one of the things we do see in the Genesis narrative, including the entire Bible, really. There will always be a remnant. While everyone else is losing their way, God will have people there that are his. And this is their story. This seems to be a faithful line of father-son, father-son, who is instructing their children correctly and doing their best not to lead them astray. But they can only do so much because we know when it comes to Noah, for those of you who read ahead, that only his family was spared in the flood. And we'll get to Lamech in a second. And he had other sons and daughters. So what does that mean? That means the lessons didn't sink in. Uh, Unintentional pun there. So we look at this and we go, why should I care? Well, I'll be the first to admit when it comes to reading through stuff like this, I don't always have fun. And genealogies have never been my thing. As you know, uh, uh, Eber, Peleg, Rue, and uh, Father Blank and Blank and Liv, whatever. And they were in the tribe of Ephraim and, you know, all this mess. And I mentioned like three separate things. But you get my point. That doesn't sound interesting to me from that point of view. Now, they're interesting to a point because it is interesting to figure out where people come from. I've always liked that, you know, seeing and say, oh, well, my family, uh, my dad's side came from here. My mom's side came from here. That's interesting. But it's not like the ultimate thing in the world I care about. It's not exactly where I get my sense of fun. Now, my mother, on the other hand, has put a lot of work into exploring our genealogy from her side of the family and dad's side of the family. And this is something she really enjoys. And I've enjoyed the fruits of her labor by reading through some of the stuff that she's done. Uh, We do have some genealogies for the house that other people before us have done. So those are interesting to look through. They're just not exactly page turners in my mind. But those genealogies are a great way to help us realize just how much work it took to get us where we are today. And thanks to her work, I now know I have English, German, Scottish, Irish, and Swiss ancestry, and there's possibly more to be found, you know, should we do some genetic testing or something like that? You know, these revelations of ancestry, they haven't really changed my life in any meaningful way. You know, I haven't joined any Scottish clubs or what have you, or gone to Ireland or anything like that. Like, nope, they're interesting. Say, so, oh, well, you know, I have this ancestry. That's fun. That's why you can reach out to people. It's like, oh, well, my family comes from Pakistan or my family comes from Cambodia or you know, from Nigeria or whatever. Like, that's cool. That's interesting. It doesn't define a person, in my opinion, but it helps us go, oh, okay. Oh, so that's where you're from. That's interesting. But when you look at this, this these revelations of ancestry, what they do is they help me realize how vast my origins are. And this is one reason why God commanded Moses to write down the genealogies of the Israelites and in the case of Genesis, ultimately the world, so that we could know and appreciate where we came from. Like, we know nothing about Kenan, you know, from that point of who he is from this text. We know nothing about Enosh or Seth, but we know they lived. They lived for a long time and they fathered children. And that's a long amount of time for things to happen. There's are not uninteresting people. That's not like God saying, well, no one will care about what you, the lesson you learned today, Enosh. No, it's like there were things that he just didn't want to record for us. But on to the names proper. Now, as we've discussed before, Adam comes from the Hebrew word Adam. And like we've noted before, it, it really best fits the name of the man we all come from. It just means man. It Adam can mean Adam himself. It can mean humanity. It can just mean men. Like it's a multi-use word, like many words in Hebrew, like we've discussed before. They're multifaceted. There's very few Hebrew words that just mean like one thing. 
and cannot like be rewritten another way or adding another letter that changes the word. There's very few that I am aware of. And to be honest, it's been a while since I've studied and I'm not the person you want to ask. <laughs> now, Seth, on the other hand, his son is named by Eve, like we said in the last chapter, via the Hebrew word set, which means appointed. And like we discussed in the last episode, this points to her knowing of her offspring's role in eventually defeating the serpent and that one of them will be appointed to do the job. Now, was it going to be uh, Seth? Was it going to be someone else? We don't know. Well, she didn't know. We know now it's Jesus, but she didn't know that. So she's setting it forth, purposefully naming her son. Names have power. Like if you're a good parent, you don't name your uh, child something stupid or something that means something offensive or something evil. Like you're going to give them something that means something to you as parents or what have you, or like something that you want for them. Like maybe you want your uh, son or daughter to be prosperous. So if there's some name out there, it means prosperous. You name them that. Like, if you're a good parent, you're going to do that. And Eve was a good parent, setting up for the rest of them along the way to name their children after things that mean something of substance. Now, Seth's son, Enosh, means mortal. And it comes from the Hebrew word, imagine that, Enosh. Now, here we may have seen, and there's a lot of speculation here because there's not you know, anything in the text specifically that says this. So uh, this is uh, putting on our thinking caps right now and speculation caps, I should probably say. And so the, what I'm saying right now isn't necessarily scripture. So keep that in mind. This is reflections other commentators have given or that maybe something I've gleaned from the text. So I put that out there. You don't have to believe what I'm saying. There you go. Now, it seems at this point in time in history that there's been this dawning revelation that humanity is truly mortal. Like they knew when Abel died, oh, that's going to happen to me one day, you know, if a savior doesn't come. And Seth seems to have named his son after such an idea, presuming, of course, that there is no gap between them. Like I mentioned before, Enosh could easily be several generations after Seth. Who knows? It's all over the place. But we didn't go to Kenan. And that derives from Canaan, uh, Kenan, uh, it starts with a Q. There's a Y in there. It's a lot of fun, Hebrew. Very interesting language that I'm glad I don't have to study anymore. <laughs> but it's still very valuable. I mean that with uh, very much uh, sincere motives. It is a very beautiful language. I'm just dumb when it comes to studying. Uh, and Kenan, Canaan, whatever it's supposed to mean there, uh, however it's pronounced, can mean to nest or to possess. And this perhaps no denotes, once again, speculation cap, uh, denotes how humanity was truly taking over the world as their own by the time of their birth, excuse me, of his birth. And that'll bring us to verses 15 through 24. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. Now, before we get to that cliffhanger, 
there's some things we need to discuss. Mahalalel, which is a very fun name to pronounce. I'm not having any trouble at all talking about that one. <laughs> it means the shining one of El. And that comes from the Hebrew words for Hillel and is where we eventually get the word Halu, which is a root for the word that we would recognize, uh, recognize as Hallelujah. Now, El is another name for God. And this perhaps shows how this part of the family, once again, speculation zone here, uh, speculation cap put it on, how this part of the family remained faithful to God while the rest of their brethren walked away and sought their own desires, like we'll eventually see happening before the flood. Jared, meanwhile, originates from the word Yered, which means to come down or descend. Then his son Enoch, assuming that is his actual son, on the other hand, originates from Keneke, which means to train, dedicate, or educate. There's like two other definitions I could have thrown in there too. Now, if we take these names in sequence, and if this is what is intended by the patriarchs and God, then this all spells out from these three names, the shining one of El comes to teach. Now, whether or not this is intentional is open to debate. I have seen a lot of people preach, this is exactly what they were thinking, and you should think that way too. And I've had other people who don't even bother looking up this. Like, I try to look up as many commentaries as possible when I'm doing this. That way I don't, like, just get biased in one way or another or just don't bring my own personal biases in there and then not listen to what someone else has to say. So I'm doing this for your benefit, my benefit. We don't know. It's open to debate. Now, there are some who say that this phrase, if it's indeed intended to be a phrase, refers to Enoch himself. And the names were written to prophesy his coming, uh, since God, he's so special, God takes them away. Or they instead point to Jesus, who is the shining one of hell, who descends to train humanity, which can be teach humanity, which I think we can all agree, if this is what that's pointing to, that's exactly what Jesus came to do, to teach humanity about what they needed to do. And they needed to seek God, needed to get right with him. If this was planned by the patriarchs, then it's a stunning sign of their faithfulness to God and that they were still hoping for God to deliver his promises. And if it isn't, well, then the names still sound cool. I mean, at the end of the day, this isn't like something like, you know, a hardline stance we have to take on it. It's like, as opposed to the idea of like, hey, uh, Jesus came to die for your sins. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is, and God and the Holy Spirit are three in one. Like those are things that you got to plant your feet and say, no, you move. Other things is like, well, I might be able to move on that one. I might be able to think a different way. This could be coincidence, or it could be something directly pointing to Jesus. And one thing is, I'm in my hermeneutics class right now, is you got to be careful. Just because you think it points to Jesus doesn't mean it necessarily does. So that's why I'm doing my best here to say, hey, this could be true. And I want you to reach your own conclusions on that. I'm just bringing it up now uh which side do I take? Well, I'm glad you asked. I do take the side of these are directly pointing, uh, naming their sons as such to point towards Jesus. Uh, this is a legitimate effort on their part, thinking about this, uh, not knowing who Jesus is, obviously, but knowing that there is a Savior who's going to come, they're pointing to him. But I could just as easily be wrong about that. And I want to be as open and honest about that as possible. And then we go to our boy Enoch. In this passage, we have one of the weirdest verses in scripture. Like there's a donkey that talks to some guy later on. There's, you know, Jesus writing something in the mud. Like there's some stuff we don't really get. They're just kind of out of left field. You know, we're not ready for them. But we get to Enoch here. 
with this sudden disappearance and lack of death compared to the rest of humanity. Now, much has been written and debated about what the heck that means. Suffice to say, no one knows for sure. And it's up to personal opinion. You know why? Because it's not explicitly said why God took him away in this verse. Now, there are other verses that long suggest it's because of his faith, but like it's never really spelled out. This is why God did it. Enoch was just that great of a guy. He sinned like 10 times less than everyone else or anything like that. We don't know. But the point is, he was righteous and faithful enough for God to take him away from death, which he had promised to everyone else. Now, I would posit that he, like Elijah, far after him, and uh, we'll get to Second Kings forever from now, <laughs> uh, was taken up by God to heaven without him physically dying because his faithfulness exceeded other humans and that God has plans for him that we simply don't know of because the text refuses to elaborate on it. And we know once again from our boy Jude that we quoted from verse 14 earlier that Enoch possessed the gift of prophecy. And we know from the writer of Hebrews that he was considered faithful amongst others who showed faith to God. There are three apocryphal books attributed to Enoch uh, appropriately entitled First Enoch, Second Enoch, Third Enoch. They're great reads, just not scripture. Uh, they're fun. It's Jewish apocalyptic literature. It's a lot of stuff was being written around that time. They're like, looking when when is the Messiah coming? What's going on here? So they started inventing scripture just to think like, oh, maybe I'm encouraging people by doing this, or maybe I'm just encouraging myself to write this. And uh, those books of Enoch, with 30 Enoch actually being written way later than the other ones, if I remember correctly, were there for their benefit, that for them to think, okay, well, if maybe I'll write it into, into existence, it'll happen. <laughs> But these are well written far beyond when Enoch himself would have written them with the earliest possible being written around the third century BC. Now, of course, if God so chose to do so, he could have inspired one of the writers to write scripture and give it from the point of Enoch that he had once written before the flood and obviously didn't survive the flood and could later have become part of canon of scripture if it agreed with scripture. And that's one of the reasons why we don't have Enoch's in there, because they don't. They're just a lot of fun. I mean, that's where you're going to get things like your Grigori, uh, your Watchmen, so on and so forth there. A more ex exploration of angels in that sense and fallen angels. It's a wild time. It's a lot of fun. But it's just not scripture. So regardless, we don't know that much about him. And we can only speculate. So... <laughs> When I can say that Enoch and Elijah will be the two witnesses speaking against the beast in Revelation 11, because I think God was saving their deaths to happen at that moment in time instead of originally when they would have happened, then no one can say that I'm completely off base. <laughs> you know why? Because it's never said explicitly who those witnesses are. And I think they're Enoch and Elijah because God was saving them to die uh, like every other being has to do at one point in time. Like even Jesus died at one point in time. But like, that's my own personal hypothesis. I can't prove it. I'm not taking a bullet for it. You know, like I would take a bullet for Jesus being the savior of humanity. Like I'm taking that one. It's truth. There's no other way around it. So we'll move on from there and finish up with verses 25 through 32. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, 
saying out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Methuselah, the longest living recorded man, if these are indeed literal years, has the name that means his death shall send. And Lamech, unlike the Lamech descended from Cain, is treated far better in Scripture and shows his faithfulness to God. And that he has a name derived from the word Lamech, which, as far as we are aware of, has an unknown meaning in Hebrew. But Lamech itself, as opposed to Lamech, does mean powerful. Noah, our soon-to-be protagonist of the Genesis narrative, has a name derived from Noach in Hebrew, which means to rest. Now, if we keep the naming scheme from earlier, they combine to mean his death shall send powerful rest. And if we combine the names from earlier, it ends up as the shining one of El comes to teach his death shall send powerful rest. If this is once again pointing to Jesus, then it sends an amazing prophetic message about what he will ultimately do to those who are his. He will come to teach us and offer powerful rest, not just rest, powerful rest. That sounds pretty dang good to me. Now, once again, this may be grasping at straws, but if it's true, that's a beautiful thing to hear, especially before we get into the narrative of the flood. So that's where I take it. What about you? And with that, we're done with Genesis 5. Please, if you get a chance, just leave a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice. Just to help us with the ratings there and reach more people. I do really appreciate it when you do. If you're interested in my fiction writing, you can find my works at starvingwritersguild.com or on Amazon by searching for the name M.C. Ashley. If you're all interested in some further solid studies into the Bible and its teachings, then check out the other members of the Anazal Ministries podcasting network. You can contact me at letnothingmoveyoupodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to extend a special thank you to Joshua Knoll for the editing that he does and for the music that he adds to the podcast. And with all that in mind, God bless you all in accordance to his will and not mine. And allow me one more time to remind you, let nothing move you. Hey guys, are you interested in podcasting but don't know where to go? Well, check out Zencaster.com and go ahead and make an account there and use special promo code Let Nothing Move You, all caps. That way you can get 30% off of your next deal to go ahead and set things up so you can figure out how to edit stuff using Zencaster.com to host your stuff to get things done there. So check out Zencaster.com, use special promo code Let Nothing Move You. All right, see ya.